Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom He died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the Scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the Word of God regardless of who gets offended or not. In Jesus' name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. We thank the Lord that His Word is a what? Lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amen. The primary method and way that the Lord leads His New Testament church is through the Holy Scriptures. Again, Psalm 119, 105. Thy Word is what? A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let's look up Proverbs 6.23. I want somebody to read that. Judy, you can read that one. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Also, other evidence we have of the Holy Scriptures being primary way by which God leads his body, his New Testament church, is 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All Scripture is given by all what? All Scripture, written word of God, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, and for instruction in righteousness. You know, again, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We know we're on, we're on target with God when either before or after things go on in our lives, we know that the scripture upon scripture that confirms that. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23. What's that say? For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. I love that. Can we read that one more time? Proverbs six twenty-three. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. I also love Psalm 33:11. It tells us that the thoughts of his heart have been given to all generations through his written word. The thoughts of his heart are given to his people through the counsel of his word. What's that say? The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. Isn't that beautiful that the thoughts of God's heart, isn't that a beautiful phrase, have been given given to us in his word. There's no book like the Bible. Amen. For everyone for all times. Read it again. Psalm 33:11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. God said he preserved his word. Chapter 12 of Psalms, verse 6 and 7. God has preserved his word to every generation so that the man of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's 2 Timothy 3, 7 which is right after 16, we quoted it earlier, to be thoroughly and completely furnished. And I'll tell you what, we'll go to that scripture in a minute. What's that say in Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7? Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. The Lord has preserved his word in tangible form for all of us so that we would not be misdirected or deceived. And remember, he warned us many times about many false prophets and many false teachings that will mislead many and damn the souls of many. And there's no reason for that because we have his word and we don't have to be deceived. 
right? The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. Amen. So God promised that he was going to preserve his words to every generation. Now look at Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 15. Second Timothy 3. You'll notice that uh, this is the chapter in the beginning, the first six, seven, eight verses that give a resume of the conditions of mankind, fallen mankind, even those who have actually a form of godliness in the last days, that there would be perilous times, right? For men shall be what? Verse 2. Lovers, Lovers of who? In lieu of loving God or in replacement, in, in place of loving God, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, my strength. They're going to love themselves. Isn't that interesting? That's how it starts. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. I think that uh, the law of first mention, the priority of that placement, the Lord placed that first, means something here. Lovers of their own selves. All sin would follow that, right? Pride. The pride of life. Loving your own self above the Lord and above others. Covetous. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Isn't that interesting? Not thankful. Unholy. You know it's a sin not to be thankful. Unholy. Without natural affection. Truce breakers. False accusers. Incontinent. Which means without self-control or temperance. Fierce. Have you met anybody ruthless lately? I have. Despisers of those that are good. What else? Traitors. Traitors. Petty. High-minded. Lovers of what? Pleasures. Pleasures. More than lovers of God. That's how it ends. That's how the resume ends. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's people that will spend all day and night or whatever playing games. They don't have any time to seek the Lord. So how do you think they're going to feel? What kind of remorse do you think they're going to feel? Because we're going to have all of our senses in eternity. When they have to spend eternity separated from God in conscious eternal torment, remembering all the opportunity they had to hear the word of God, to learn of the Lord, to be saved, to repent of their sins, etc. See, they have a form of godliness. This isn't, apparently this is not addressed to the, of course, this book's written to the church, if you will, the body of Christ, for the whole New Testament era. Apparently, this is not talking about rank heathen, Matthew. You notice that? Because look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness. These people actually have a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof, or the authority of Jesus Christ reigning in their life. From such, do what? Turn away. They are misrepresenting the Lord. Denying or contradicting, disavowing, rejecting, refusing the power or the authority of Jesus to reign in their life. So apparently this list is referring to people that actually have a form of godliness. In other words, they go to church. They have some kind of semblance of relationship with God. And maybe they've even been saved in the past. But what is a hypocrite? It's actually an actor, if you look up the definition. Somebody that's actually acting the part. Let's do this. Let me touch on that subject a little bit here. Let's face it, if you think about it, almost every Sunday morning so-called service, I don't know why we call Sunday morning gatherings a service. That just boggles my mind. In most cases, it's a production. It's a performance. Not all, but certainly the vast majority of so-called church buildings are run by a staff, right, that has an agenda, which is not according to the stated New Testament purpose Christ gave to his people. Home church meetings remove this kind of mystique and, to some degree, the performance notion. Depends on who's operating those and partaking with them. But in most cases, I think it, it removes that whole agenda. It can. It should. And that's where the early church, the earliest believers, when Christ's people were in the pristine form right after Pentecost and Acts 2, we should all 
all become very, very familiar with the end of Acts 2, after the Lord saved several thousand people, and how they were flourishing in the Lord. We should look for those things and partake in fellowship that is like that. Amen. They did four different things as they met house to house daily. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the Word of God, the written Word of God. The apostles' doctrine is simply the doctrine Jesus gave to his twelve who gave it to the world. And they're still giving it to the world because we got it on record in the scriptures. Amen. The 27 books of the glorious New Testament. They fellowship, broke bread together, and they prayed together. They kept it real simple with Christ being lifted up as the only head of his body. Amen. And when that happens, then the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 2, that divine virtue flows from Jesus, the head, at the right hand of the Father, into his body. Amen. And that's when we grow and we're whole and healthy. Hallelujah. This doesn't mean, though, that deceivers and error are non-existence in gatherings of disciples who meet in homes. So we don't want to be gullible about that. And yet it's probably true that there is a much less percentage or likeliness of home churches that, you know, percentage-wise that are corrupted. Many of those who meet in homes are going back to this pristine state I just talked about of the early church just after it was born at Pentecost. They are also escaping the apostasy so prevalent in today's modern church world. And that's what we just read about this. Unless I'm missing something, guys, this is talking about those who actually have a form of godliness of some type, some kind of outward form of godliness, which the Greek for form is fashion or appearance, a semblance, formula. Form is the root word, if you will, English-wise, of formula, right? Form, formula. They have their little Sunday morning agenda. It's all preset in most cases. You know, if you're listening and you go to a good fellowship that's really in a building, but yet is a true New Testament fellowship, according to Scripture, not traditional denomination, then you've got a rare, a rare body there of people meeting. Now, notice the following Scripture. I just grabbed one out of Acts here. And what goes through your mind as you read Acts 11.26? Let me read this to you. It says, and you can turn there to Acts 11.26, Acts 11.26, And when he had found him, Paul, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church in Antioch, that is, and taught much people. Notice they, a whole year, they assembled. They assembled. I like that word assembly. Assemble or gather. I like that a lot, you know. I like that a lot better personally than the term that, oh, I'm going to church. Well, church is not somewhere you go. It's who you are. Amen. And wherever we are on God's green earth, two or more gathered, there he is in our midst. And the elements that I cited earlier in Acts 2, 42 through 47 should also be present along with Colossians 3, 16, which is let the word of Christ, you know, when you gather, that can be anywhere on God's green earth. Let it be rich. Let it dwell richly among you abundantly, teaching and admonishing one another in Psalms and in hymns and in spiritual song. There's some other New Testament components for fellowship. Amen. So a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. And what else? They taught much people. See, their gatherings had a lot to do with teaching. You'll recall in the book of Acts that the apostle Paul taught so long one night that some guy named Eutychus fell out the window and died. Eutychus too, if you'd have fallen out the window and died. That's right. They, I think, I think, yeah, I think Paul went down there and laid on top of him. And he did. Raised him from the dead. Yeah. He did. He laid right on top of him. There you go, brother. Put it up top. So notice this here. Let's talk about that for a minute. This little nugget here. A whole year they assembled themselves. And did it say they entertained each other? No. Of course, doing the things of God is the most entertaining thing. But the goal is not entertaining. Amen. And sometimes it's not very entertaining. But if it's of God, God, we have to do it. A whole year they assembled themselves with the church. 
Christ, the body of Christ, in, in Antioch, and taught much people. See, so obviously Acts 11.26 tells us there was a lot of good teaching coming out, amen? They were learning how to be conformed to the image of Christ and to be a disciple. If you are like most today, though, you may be, I'm not sure, but you may be, again, if you're like most today, you may be picturing, as I did the first time I read this verse, a church setting like we see and have today in the modern church world. And a lot of people see the kingdom of God, unfortunately, through what they've learned in the modern church world, instead of getting rid of those notions through the washing of water by the word, being renewed in the spirit of a mind, and being not conformed to this world and the worldly apostate church, but being uh, transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may prove what is that, or demonstrate what is that good, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus said, now are you clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. The Bible talks about the washing of water by the word. Ephesians 5.26, where old notions and false notions that we've been taught by mere men, the doctrines and the imperfections and religiosity of men, are washed away. We must get our image of God through God's word, only through God's word. Get our image of God through God's word. Get our directions, our marching orders. Let everything be tried and tested against Holy Scripture. When the Bereans heard even the Apostle Paul speaking, they took him to task. What he was saying, they compared it to the Holy Scriptures to see whether or not those things that he taught were actually according to the final authority of God's Word, because that is the primary way by which God leads his New Testament church, is through the Holy Scriptures. Now, there's a lot of ministries out there that, and we talked about this earlier, that have a lot of other ways that they lead people. There's, there's ministries that have a lot of things they say, but it's not according to Scripture. In fact, Paul says in Colossians 2, 8, you know, beware lest any man spoil or ruin you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the traditions of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. And as young believers, we just take these things that were taught by these guys that are pastors in these churches for the gospel. And that's a human error, I think. And it's also a sinful error, I think, too. We've got to be real careful that we allow the Lord to teach us. I don't know about you, but there came a time in my life, Matt, when I got saved. I grew up Catholic and had a lot of stuff in my mind about God, but most of it was false because I grew up in a false religion, a cult called Roman Catholicism and an antichrist cult, and which does nothing but denigrate the original gospel of Jesus Christ, that we're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. And when the Lord saved me, I started hearing other stuff from all kinds of other people in the body of Christ. And I really got fed up with that quick. Jesus said to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Then he said, who do you say that I am? And that's what God's asking us. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is saying to me, to you, all of us. And I had to put everything on the table. In fact, clear the table and put a King James Bible on the table and decide I'm going to personally embark upon a diligent study from now forward to I'm with Christ of God's word so that I can find out what God says for myself. And it's only then I decided I'm going to have peace. And that would be, I believe, being led by the spirit is to say, you know what? If God, if I don't see it here, right here in the word, it's not true. And until I see it with my own eyes. Now, please help me learn, members of the body of Christ. Let's talk about scripture, what it says. Let's help each other learn what God says. Our first question when we hear a new doctrine or one that we see or hear taught, we should always ask, what saith the scriptures? Because God gave us all things that pertain on the life and godliness right here in his word. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and 4. All things that pertain on the life and godliness are found in the exceeding great and precious promises, the written word of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So if you read this verse and you may, like myself, the first time I read it, start to compare it to what we see in the modern church. A lot of people are so pigeonholed into their little denominational religiosity that they see this as meaning, oh, it had to be, you know, pews and stained 
looking glass windows. And- Isn't that a ridiculous deception, you know? I mean, the early church didn't know anything of that sort. It wasn't for a couple of 300 years before all of that filthy tradition started getting put in place. And there's a book that Judy gave me that she'll never get back. I'll have to buy her another one. Called Pagan Christianity. He really shows the historical roots of a lot of stuff. The buildings, the Nicolaitane leadership. That's something Jesus used. Nicolaitanes. Jesus said, I hate the deeds and the doctrines of the Nicolaitanes. And he even said the Ephesians hated it, which he was proud of them for. He was glad. He was commending them. I hate the deeds and the doctrines of the Nicolaitanes. Conquer the laity. Nico means conquer in the Greek. That's where we get the word Nike. Conquer. It means conquer. And then laity means the people. Conquer the laity. He hated their deeds and their doctrine. Their deeds of conquering the people that they would even be so apostate and darkened in heart that they'd even want to control another person. And then their doctrines. These guys set up doctrines. This famous doctrine of shepherding. I think somebody mentioned it earlier. This covering doctrine. I was under all that stuff. That's nothing but a bunch of witchcraft. Nothing but witchcraft, which is one of the works of the flesh. God never gave any human being, especially his body I'm speaking about, the authority or the direction to try to control another human being's life. In fact, if you do that, you're actually shaking your fist in the face of God because that's his creation. That's his creation, not mine, not yours. And whenever you see that, you need to run for your life. And there are a lot of congregations like that. In fact, we had a guy, we've become good friends down in Austin, Texas. This is a really deep brother. He's in his 60s, I think. He's a teacher of the word of God. He's a blessing and he's a writer and really deep. He called me one day and he said, I want you to know that I went to Christ for the Nation's bookstore. And when I was in Dallas visiting, passing through, and for two hours, we sat there. We looked in their bookstore and looked up on their, you know, system, computer system, trying to find teaching on the Nicolaitans. And he said, finally, we got on the web and started searching. And we were the only people on the web that had teaching on that. And he said he ordered the book, Deceivers and False Prophets Among Us, because that's two of the chapters in that book is called the, the Deeds and the Doctrines of the Nicolaitans, Part 1 and Part 2, which has really set a lot of people free. And I'm saying that because a lot of us have been under that kind of controlling, shepherding, used to be called in the 70s, movements. And they would do stuff like this. This is kind of extreme, but they would, you know, you couldn't date somebody unless you check with the pastor and he approved it. You know, you couldn't do this and that. You couldn't live your life being led by the Spirit and the Word of God with the body of Christ without checking with the pastor. I mean, that's just another Catholic system where you got to go to the man instead of having a walk with God. You know, had a discussion with a guy the other day and he knew the truth. He brought it up. He said, you know, all of this stuff about accountability in churches, I don't agree with that because, you know, you got to learn how to walk with God yourself one day or the other. You could always fake out your accountability part if you're going to be deceitful and live in sin. And so somewhere along the line, individually, because there's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God, we've got to learn to walk with God ourselves. I've got to choose. I don't know about you. I've not always done a perfect job at that, you know, but today's the first day of the rest of our lives. And so we have to learn how to be accountable because God's eyes are upon us at all times. So let's talk a little bit about this witchcraft thing before we go back into this. While I touched on it, we'll take a little parenthetical tour over here to 1 Corinthians. Now hold your place in 2 Timothy because that's we're going to come back there in just a minute and finish up. Notice in 1 Corinthians 16, notice this here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12. As touching our brother Apollos. Touching just means concerning. I greatly desired him to come to you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Alright, let's look at this verse a little bit closer. As touching or concerning our brother Apollos. Remember Apollos out of the book of Acts, frequently mentioned by Paul in the New Testament. Good brother in the 
Lord, a servant, fervent, diligent in the scriptures, etc. Acts 18, that's a wonderful study. We'll get into that sometime. But notice here, as concerning or touching our brother Apollos, Paul, what? Not only desired, but greatly desired him to come to you. Paul says, I wanted Apollos to go minister to somebody, to you guys in Corinth. That was Paul's desire. That was Paul's will to come with the brethren. I guess he had some people he was going to bring with him. But his will, uh-oh, Apollos has a personal will too, too, right? So, but his will was not at all to come at this time. So Apollos and Paul had two different ideas here. Did we see anything about Paul getting upset? No, not at all. Because Paul said, and we're going to read it in a minute, that he didn't have dominion over other people's faith. Paul wasn't controlling, see? Paul wanted him, Apollos, to go minister to the Corinthians. But Apollos had other ideas. Because notice the word underlined, his will was not at all to come. But he will come later on, when there's a more convenient time. He put it off into the future. Notice Paul didn't try to control what Apollos did. You see that? Paul didn't at all try to tell Apollos, exercise some kind of an unwarranted control, which would be witchcraft, over Apollos' life. Paul wanted him to go, and that's how we should go. Be with each other in the body of Christ. We shouldn't try to control other people. Paul wanted Apollos to go do something, but Apollos wasn't agreeing with that. He wasn't ready to go do that. He had other things he was doing and wasn't at all wanting to go do what Paul wanted him to do. But Paul didn't react or say he had to go or try to exercise that. That's control. You know, Apollos is free to be led by the Spirit all by himself. Amen. There's the individual priesthood of every believer, which we have to learn. Individual priesthood. We'll study that sometime. Now flip over a page or two to 2 Corinthians 1, 24. We're going to read the last verse in the first chapter, 2 Corinthians 1, 1, 24. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith you stand. By faith in God you stand. You don't stand in the Lord because of us, but because of God. Notice what he says, not that we have dominion over your faith. He says it outright. We don't have dominion over your faith. We're helpers of your joy. In other words, we're here to put air underneath your wings figuratively, if you will. Put some wind in your sail to help you grow in Christ and prosper. We have no dominion over you. You're God's property. Amen. By reason of creation, Ezekiel 18.4 says, all souls are mine. Paul, the Lord says, all souls are mine. No man has owns anybody else's soul. Ultimately, we don't even own our own soul. Amen. Our loyalty to men and earthly leaders in particular must be based on a higher loyalty to God. Amen. Jesus delegates to his followers his authority over sickness. That's obvious in Matthew 10, 1. Go heal the sick. He told evil spirits. We have authority over evil spirits. You will cast out devils. Matthew 10, 1 through 8. Everybody know about those verses? He never delegated his authority to his people to rule over anybody else, though. We've got to rightly divide the word truth. God gives us authority to do certain things like cast out devils, right? To heal sicknesses and diseases. These signs shall follow them that believe. Those that believe will what? They'll speak with new tongues. Mark 16, 15 through 20. They'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, etc. But we don't have authority delegated to us to control another person's life. Look at chapter 8 in the same book. Chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 5. 2 Corinthians 8, 5. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So they first gave themselves to who? The Lord. You see that priority? They gave themselves to the Lord. And then, as unto the Lord, they were submitted to their elders in the Lord. There is submission taught to elders, but it's only as unto the Lord. Amen. No one comes between your relationship.
relationship with God. You should never let anybody rule over your relationship with the Lord. And that's why God told Peter in First Peter 5, 1 through 6, that they're not to be, he's not to be forceful in overseeing and feeding the flock of God, not by coercion or force. In the Old Testament, speaking of false pastors, it says by force you have ruled them. I think that's the 23rd chapter of Jeremiah. But no, he says in First Peter 5, and I'll just read this to you to remind you, the elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the church of God, which is among you, taking the oversight there, not by constraint or not by force, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, or in other words, ill-gotten gain, but of a ready mind or an eagerness, neither as being lords, here it is, over whose heritage? God's heritage. You're to feed the church of God, but you're not a lord over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder, unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. That's interesting. And be clothed with what? Humility. That's Christ's likeness. And God, uh, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. See, it's God's heritage, not man's. But we learn more by example of others. Yes. And many times people trying to teach us, they watch what we do. So our walk speaks louder than our talk. That's right. And you know, that's a good point, Judy. You notice here in this verse 2 that I just read, it says in First Peter 5, feed the flock of God, which is among you, not the international body, but the flock that among you. God will take care of those other people through other, through his spirit, his word, and other overseers in other cities. He doesn't need you and me trying to control people and acting like there's a lot of ministries such as C. Peter Wagner, which is a total false apostle. Talk about Nicolaitan. If you want to know more information about him, we've got a page on the website, safeguardyoursoul.com. But he acts like he's an apostle to the nation or the nations and all. There's a lot of clowns running around out there that are self-appointed apostles and prophets that act like they have the rule and the sphere of measure over people all over the world as if they're God's man of the hour. That's ridiculous. He says right there, you take oversight to the flock that is, notice, among you. Right there. God is very much about the local body. Amen. The tangible local body, wherever we are. So you noticed in 2 Corinthians 8, 5, that Paul tells them to first submit themselves to God, right? Yeah. But first, they gave their own selves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to Paul. You see that? That's proper order. Your submission to man is all in vain if you're not properly, presently submitted to God. I had a guy one time that took me to task. He was all doctored up on this Nicolaitan spirit. There's definitely demons behind all that. And he said, well, who's your apostle and all this? Who are you submitted to? And I was ready for him because I've seen that kind of witchcraft through the years. And I said, let me ask you something. Who are you submitted to? I backed him into a corner purposely. I was going to win the argument. I'm not going to hide anything from you. I said, let me ask you something. Who are you submitted to? And he was real harsh about it. So he had this kind of treatment coming to him. And he said, well, pastor, such. I said, who's he submitted to? Apostles. I said, who's he submitted to? Bishop, really? Who, who's he submitted to? I guess the Lord. He goes, oh, really? So we've created another Catholic system that we can't know God ourselves. we got to go through all these layers of men. Really? That is absolute horrible heresy. When the veil of the temple was rent, the Father came out through Christ's sacrifice to meet every man on a personal level. The personal, individual priesthood of the believer is never to be violated. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. If you tell me something or I tell you something, I believe the Lord's will for your life. First of all, I better be real slow about doing that and not, you know, there's some people
people that they pretend to know everything about your life as if, listen, those people aren't even directing their own life well. Otherwise, they wouldn't be trying to dip into everybody else's life and micromanage them. There's something wrong with that. So Jesus said he directs his sheep, John 10. They hear his voice individually. So if you have a word for me, it's most likely going to confirm what God's already been told, telling me. And if it doesn't, I better really have a red flag going up about right now. You know, because if I'm walking with the Lord, I'm hearing his voice. Amen. Can I ask you a question? Yes. This is probably a sideline, but it does fit, I think. So many people today talk about church membership. Are you a member in good standing in a particular church? Well, when I hear that word membership, I think of the word control. I have to absolutely agree, Judy. You know, there's no place in the New Testament scriptures where we see any resemblance of modern day church membership. I think that's another way to control people, like you said, and that's witchcraft. And I believe most damaging that it does despite to the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, according to the New Testament scriptures, bought us by his blood to be a member of his one universal body. That's our identity with Christ and his body. And we begin to build sects, S-E-C-T-S. That's the root word of section. We section off. Paul dealt with that in 1 Corinthians 1 when he said, one of you says, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, uh, another one, I'm of Christ. He says, but did Paul die for you? No, no man died for you. Only Christ died for you. And you're, you owe it to him. And so do I. We're, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. And our identity is Jesus Christ, the person. We've got to become and seek to become, like Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, to be crucified with Christ. All of these things. Our identity has to be in the nail-scarred risen Savior. In fact, I believe God would be glorified if his body, individual members, would begin to say those words out of their mouth. I'm bought by the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ is my salvation. We were out witnessing one night a number of years ago, and we were passing out tracks and witnessing to a lot of the teenagers. A lot of the hundreds and thousands of their parents had driven them and dropped them off at this rock concert, if you can imagine. It was a demonic band, and we were waiting outside, and when they came out, we were giving them tracks and ministering the gospel to them and praying with them. Some of them were getting saved and asking for tracks to take to school the next day, and it was an absolute explosion of ministry. Anyway, this one guy, I'll never forget him. He's one of the fathers of one of the kids, and he's waiting there. The concert hadn't let out yet, and he starts talking to us and getting real upset because he saw us ministering to folks and I think he got a track or something and this guy got highly indignant he was and I was kind of heading things up so I talked to him and I was, I was being nice trust me by the grace of God and by the restraint of the spirit but he wanted us to tell him what church we were a part of and Matthew I had decided my identity is Jesus Christ and I'm not moving from it and I believe that's by the spirit amen, amen. don't do that because I'm saying it maybe that's an encouraging word for you but you've got to decide you know what I'm putting my stake in the ground you know when the woman at the well was ministered to by Jesus, she went into the town and told everybody there. What does that tell us? Well, this is kind of a side issue, but it tells us women can evangelize and God is glorified by it. Amen. John chapter four. In fact, some of the best, well, the best evangelists I know are women sitting right here with two of three of them. So anyway, but when the men went and met Jesus, then it, it says in John four that now they had heard her testimony, but now once they've met Jesus for themselves, you know, now they had a personal relationship with him. So they, her testimony was only to get them to her. But now they knew him personally. So anyway, this guy is absolutely not going to let me go until I tell him what local church I'm a part of. He wanted somebody to blame. I said, well, I said, Jesus said, go out to all the world and preach the gospel. That's why we're here. We're not here on the authority of any local church. In fact, most of the guys here, girls and guys, sometimes we had over 20 people out there witnessing, man. We had boxes of tracks, man. Gospel tracks. 
And as these people, most of these people are in a, in a different place on Sunday morning. You know, he didn't like that answer. He wanted somebody to blame us on that. Well, you would dare go out there and minister the gospel. God forbid that his daughter was being demonized by with his approval and some motley crew or some demonic band, you know. So anyway, I'll never forget that one. But I never raised my voice. I was mean with him. But, you know, look at Second Corinthians 10, 8 before we finish with this little subject here. And again, if you want more on this, we have the Deceivers and False Prophets Among Us book, two chapters in there titled The Doctrine and Deeds of the Nicolaitans, thoroughly addressed this topic and really have set a lot of people free. The man I was telling you about earlier, his name's Paul, down in Austin, Texas, that got the book Deceivers and False Prophets Among Us. He said he had been under a lot of spiritual abuse and those two chapters absolutely set him free because the truth in these, in the Word of God will set you free. And it covers this topic thoroughly. Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord has given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. Boy, that nails it, doesn't it? So God gave Paul, the apostle, authority for what? He even uses that word. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, given from God, he's talking about, which the Lord hath given us for what? Edify. To edify, to build you up. That's the purpose God gives authority, not to control somebody else's life. You see that? This is important. Now, this might not relate to you right now. Maybe it did sometime in the past, and most certainly somehow it may confront you in the future, and you're going to have to be ready because you're submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ first and never going to give up your place with God to submit and your submission to God to submit to some man. And that many times can come very subtly, so you got to watch it, this covering doctrine, you know? Well, you need a spiritual covering. Really? What Paul say you need a spiritual covering like they teach? Nowhere. It's nothing but a bunch of witchcraft that's to seduce you to come under their control. Here's another thing people do. They prophesy a lot in order to gain control over you. That's witchcraft. That's divination. What they're doing is trying to give you the sense that they really hear from God. So they're the spiritual one among you. You see what they're doing? They're baiting you. They're sucking you in. They're acting like they're the oracle of God and most of them aren't even in the word of God. So they have no business prophesying or acting like they're moving in the gifts of the spirit. I think it's Jeremiah 23 or is it Ezekiel 34 says they prophesy out of the deceit of their own hearts and they dream dreams and visions that are not of God and God has not sent them. But that man that will be used of the Lord, Jeremiah 23, 18 says you got to mark his word and hear his word, the written word of God. And that's the servant of the Lord. Not somebody that's always got a word for you. That's not the word. You want a word? Open Genesis to Revelation if you want the word. It's amazing how many of those people don't give people scripture. And they use that to control other people's lives. It's really something we have to be careful of. When somebody among us comes among us and they're constantly saying, well, the Lord told me this. The Lord showed me that. In other words, that's a ploy to get you to believe that they somehow have this inline road with God and they're superior spiritually. You see that? Anybody else ever seen that? I've been around a lot of that. I didn't say God's people don't hear from the Lord. We got to be real careful that we don't flippantly use his name in vain by putting his name on something that's really not his. You know, I better be careful, starting with me, that I don't ever say, I'm real careful. I should be real careful. We all should, about putting the Lord's name on something. Maybe we could say something like, I sense that possibly the Lord is leading me to do this. Very humbly. That's different than saying, well, the Lord said this. The Lord showed me that. You know, I looked to the left and the Lord showed me that. I took a breath and he showed me that. I walked through that. Some of these people are very flaky that do this kind of stuff. And it's a ploy to elevate themselves above other believers around them to kind of cue them in as to their great spiritual, you know, insight and authority and calling.
healing. You know, everybody's a prophet and apostle and a bishop. These ladies are running around on the internet calling themselves bishop. You have got to be kidding. If that ain't Jezebel, nothing is. These people are absolute false apostles, false prophets, and self-appointed bishops. A bishop must be the, quote, husband, husband, husband of one wife. How many people know that a woman cannot be a husband? She's disqualified right there. First Timothy 3, 2. Well, that's oppressive. No, that's protective, not oppressive. That protects women. They weren't called to be after the fall. They're to be loved, cherished, and protected by men as the weaker vessel. In letting them, suffering Jezebel, that means allowing Jezebel, to a woman to operate in a role that God didn't ordain a woman to, to operate in, is throwing her to the wolves. And it's going to cause great destruction in her life, your life, and everybody around. He's going to kill her children with death. Revelation 2, 20 through 23 has got a boatload of revelation on Jezebel. Because Jesus said that woman, Jezebel, that's among you, a Thyatira church, Thyatira, seduces you to, to commit fornication and to teach idolatry and ungodly things. And I'm going to kill her children with death because you suffered or you allowed it. And then he likens it in verse 24, I think, to the depths of Satan. Wow. If you've ever been around that, you can agree that that's the depths of Satan, the depths of Satan. It's the only time that term is used in the Bible, and it's related to Jezebel. When men allow women, I blame the men, they allow women to operate outside of God's ordained role for women. God's not a fool. He made women and men for specific purposes. And that's why we need the Word of God, to find out what these things are. You see, we're here in 2 Timothy 3, and that's what we're our main text. We're, gonna, we're back in chapter 2 Timothy chapter 3. I wrote down a note a while back. You know, we read earlier here about a form of godliness, a form of God, a semblance or formula. When structure becomes an end in itself, then you have a form. You don't have God. And, and that's what I was talking about earlier. I think in my limited perspective that a lot of Sunday morning stuff is pretty much staged, man. You know what I mean? It's pretty staged. God doesn't have a whole lot of, to do with it. It's an agenda. I went to visit a, a church, so-called, with a friend, a really good brother. He's a younger brother in the Lord, about a year ago. And he goes, well, what did you think about it? And I said, you really want to know? He's a really meek, precious brother. I said, man, that whole thing is nothing but a, I can tell you that every time you go to this Assembly of God church, and he had been a few times, I said, I can tell you without even asking you, it's the same old song and dance. The same people in three-piece suits jumping up and acting this way and acting that way, like blurting out in tongues. And it's a big show, man. That's all it is. That isn't spontaneous. Really. God's not going to do all that stuff the same way every time. That's ridiculous. We've got to let the Holy Spirit lead us and be authentic and do all things as unto the Lord and not unto us some kind of pattern or formula. Verse 6 here says, For of this sort are they which creep in the houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, these are the three guys that did witchcraft in the days of Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. They've fallen away. They departed from the faith, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 4, 1, verse 9. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Now, I want to, it's something I've been meditating on, and I, I see it right here. You don't see Paul praying for false prophets. There's not one instance where Paul, now he marks eight of them in this little book. This little 
book of 2 Timothy has four chapters. In each chapter, he names, literally names, like he did in verse 8, Janes and Jambres, two guys, two false teachers, two people that were operating in witchcraft in the days of Moses. He names eight people in this little book. We've got an article on the website called Naming Names, Is It Biblical? And it has circulated all over the internet. It's really quite a crowning jewel on that particular subject of an article, and it really spells out clearly that we are to mark, as you said earlier, those who teach contrary to the Holy Scriptures and are operating and bringing division, heretical division among the saints and not according to the Scriptures. So Paul in verse 9 says these guys are going to proceed no further for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Sounds like a prophetic word. He's, you know, and he's, I believe, speaking this for on these guys. Notice in the fourth chapter when he's talking about Alexander the coppersmith who did him much evil, right? In verse 14, Alexander the he names this guy, didn't he? Look at verse 10. Demas, he named him. That's the two in that chapter. If you'll study this book, you're going to find two people of various sorts of and kinds of deception and falsehoods and false prophets in each of the four chapters. I want you to circle those and cross-reference them, and you might want to look up that, uh, feel free to look up that uh, article on safeguardyoursoul.com that's called Naming Names. Is it biblical? And there's a search window that you can look it up on because there's a lot on that site. So he says, Alexander, verse 14, the coppersmith did me much evil. Has anybody else had an Alexander the coppersmith in their life? I sure have. I've had some people that have befriended me only to try to make up things about me and attack me. But I tell you what, God used that to really help me get on the cross. Amen. Perhaps we could say there must come the Alexander coppersmith in your life. If he hadn't come already, he probably will. Jesus said, all manner of evil shall be spoken about you if you follow him. Really, if you aren't being persecuted, I think it's a, that should cause some concern. You're not being fruitful in the Lord. And fruit only comes out of relationship, right? So if I have a relationship with Christ, I don't know about you, but I have some better days than other days. Amen. I wish all of my days were really on fire for the Lord, but sometimes they aren't. I, I do hope that I can look into my life and see that I've got enough of God in me, Sister Cynthia, that it's my cup is running over on other people and I'm sharing Christ. And sometimes when you do that, you're going to be shunned, Jesus said, and put outside of the company of others. And also all manner of evil is going to be spoken about you falsely, but rejoice in that day for great is your reward in heaven. It's a token of the love of God and the seal of God upon your life. Amen. The presence of God. In fact, Jesus warned in another place, woe unto you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. That is Luke 6, 26. I believe it is. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Not a little, but much evil. That's strong. The Lord reward him according to his works. That sounds kind of imprecatory to me. That sounds like Paul is saying, Lord, let him reap what he has sown. Paul didn't pray for this guy. It sounds like he's pronouncing judgment on this fellow. In fact, I, I dare say we might want to look at another witness here on that. The Believer's Bible Commentary has a little note here on 2 Timothy chapter to 4 verse 14 with the Alexander the coppersmith verse where Paul saying he's did him much evil. What's that say, Brother Matt? It says Alexander the coppersmith may have been the same one referred to by Paul in 1 Timothy 1 verse 20 as having made shipwreck of the faith. In any event, he had done great harm to the apostle. We can only speculate as to the nature of his evil. Linking this verse with the verses that follow, it seems probable that Alexander testified against the apostle and brought false charges against him. Coney Baron Housen translate Alexander the coppersmith charged 
blasphemy with much evil. The apostle is confident that the Lord will repay him according to his works. Amen. Thank you, brother. You know, some people are of the opinion that Paul is talking about future judgment. I kind of wonder personally, and I would lean this way, think that Paul might have been talking about here, and I haven't researched it as deep as I could, but that God would let this guy reap what he had sowed, you know, quickly and expediently so he could be incapacitated from working more evil on other people. And that's not so much of a vengeance of a personal nature necessarily as a concern for others. If this guy, Alexander the Coppersmith, is doing Paul much evil, and then in the next verse, he actually warns the other believers about this guy. I believe Paul may have been praying, possibly, like David. You know, a lot of imprecatory prayer by David in the book of Psalms that the the angels of God would persecute the wicked and would harm them and destroy them, and it's violent. And when you read through the book of Psalms, also in Galatians, the apostle Paul says to the Galatians concerning the false teachers who were leading them astray and actually had caused them to fall from grace, so they were actually no longer in the grace of God, saved by the grace of God, Galatians 5, 4. He wanted them to be, he would that they were even cut off. That's a violent term. Paul was desiring that those guys were even cut off. So verse 14 of 2 Timothy 4 says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. So he says, beware. I want you guys to beware this guy. He marks him right here. Remember what Romans 16, 17, and 18 said? Mark those, scope them out and name them, identify them among the believers. Mark those who cause divisions contrary to the doctrine, which, you know, you've been taught. For they with good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. That's Romans 16, verse 17 and 18. So Paul is saying, this guy did me much evil. He made up things about me, charged me with much evil. That's the work of Satan. He was the accuser of the brethren, according to Revelation 12. You beware him also. You see that in verse 15? I want you to be aware of this guy. This guy is a wolf, for he hath greatly withstood our words. And then he goes on to say, at my first answer, no man stood with me. Anybody else ever been alone? As far as men go, but watch this. But all men forsook me. All men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. Amen, huh? The Lord stood with me. When all men forsake you, the Lord will stand with you if you're his child. Amen. If God be for you, who can be against you? The Lord is on my side, David said, I shall not fear. What can man do unto me? Psalm 118, verse 6. Notwithstanding, this ought to give us all comfort. We ought to get familiar with these verses. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Hallelujah. Verse 18. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, another way of putting that is Jesus and myself become a majority. Yes, amen. So we're back in Second Timothy 3, the chapter before. And in verse 10, the apostle writes, he says, but thou hast fully known. Remember Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. Paul gives us some specifics here. But thou hast fully known my what? What's the first thing he mentions? Doctrine, doctrine. The word doctrine appears 51 times in the Bible. That alone tells you how important that is to God. Correct, sound doctrine. 
But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, character, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, which is like love in action, amen, patience, persecutions, afflictions. So there's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, now about nine things here. Doctrine, you've fully known what? What have we fully known about Paul? You know, Paul wrote in another place, know those who labor among you. We've got to be a little bit more mature. I can be blamed for making this mistake mistake myself where I meet somebody that I really like right away. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? And as a Christian, you have that loving, endearing, non-critical, non-assuming disposition, which you should. But we've got to be wise. Paul said, know those who labor among you. We've got to be careful to let people prove themselves. You know, and here's some criteria right here. What is their doctrine? What is their manner of life? What is their purpose? What You know, they have an agenda, self-agenda. Are they self-willed and self-agenda? Are they given over to the Lord? What is their faith? Are they long suffering or impatient? Do they have charity? Are they willing to help, you know, when people have need financially or otherwise and patient? Are they persecutions? Do they have any, are they being persecuted? Are they being afflicted for the gospel? I hope so. If they're walking in the Lord, they probably should be, huh? Yeah, of course. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The next verse says, verse 12. Isn't that interesting? You see, now this little list of Paul here in 2 Timothy 3.10 is very interesting. God's true representatives are known by their purity of character and doctrine. Amen? We see that throughout Scripture. So these things were the proofs that Paul was a genuine servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch in Iconium. This is all stuff you can read in the book of Acts. Very exciting. At Lystra, you know, when he traveled to these cities, and what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Praise the Lord for that. He was even killed one time and then the Lord raised him from the dead. Amen. And then verse 12, yea, all and all and all, not some, but all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall, shall suffer persecution. Listen, don't be ashamed and don't be shocked when your brothers and sisters suffer persecution. We've all got growing and maturing to do. So uh, sometimes we bring it on ourselves, but nevertheless, we got to, I think we got to believe to the best until proven guilty, which is what I believe that we see in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 in the love chapter. We've got to be there to comfort and to help and to edify and exhort our brothers and sisters when they suffer persecution. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, Be be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. In other words, partake with me. Don't stand against me. Stand with me. This is par for the course of the Christian life. Standing for God's truth, it guarantees afflictions. So instead of turning against to brother or sister. That's what a traitor does. Amen. We read that in the resume of characteristics of those many of those in the last days during these perilous times that we now live in. They're going to be what? Traitors. Yeah, high-minded. Traitors. High-minded. False accusers. Uh, verse 3 and 4 of this same chapter. See how this all ties together? Alright, verse 13. Here it is. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's why we don't need to be shocked once we start reading all the warnings in the New Testament about false teachers and false prophets misleading many, then we shouldn't be shocked that most leaders who claim to be leading you in the way of the Lord and posing as Christian leaders, we shouldn't be shocked to begin to realize they're false. They're not preaching the original gospel. They don't have the same purpose Jesus and Paul had. They're not suffering any of these things Paul was suffering. Why? Because they've committed sacrilege. They've committed what I call penknife sacrilege like Jehoiakim did in Ezekiel 36 when 
when he cut away many of the scriptures when they found the word of God and he cut the scrolls up and threw it into the fire because he didn't want to deal with certain parts of the Bible. And that's what guys do today that are behind the pulpit. How many people do you know that are preaching the cross? Paul said they're enemies of the cross of Christ. That's the crucified life, the denying self, taking up the cross and following Jesus, to be crucified with Christ, nevertheless to live, yet not us, but Christ that lives in us. Amen. Yeah, not living in a tenement. These guys are so self-important and full of self. They're not teaching the cross. They're not applying the cross or living the cross. Don't even have any idea about the cross because they don't want to. They're so self-important and full of self. They don't deny their self any pleasure. Joel Osteen lives in a ten and a half million dollar home. Are you kidding me? One of the sins of the false teachers of Jesus' day was excess. No man needs a ten and a half million dollar house. Incredible. Well, brother, but he gets that from his books. Yeah, his books where he's deceiving and sending people to hell. So the false prophet is making money from misleading people because he never preaches the original gospel in his books or on TV. He never preaches repent. He even stated that he won't preach on sin. The guy is totally counterfeit. If he's not counterfeit, who is? If he's not one of the false prophets, the evil men and seducers who are waxing worse and worse and deceiving and being deceived, who is? Well, there's a whole slew of them. And we've got Wolf Expose category on the SafeguardYourSoul.com site, which deals with some of the many false prophets operating in the church world today. So in light of the fact that there are many evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, verse 12 says, but continue thou in the things, the doctrine, which thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. You've learned them of the Lord, if you've learned them right. Amen. And that from a child, Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures. I love that term, the holy scriptures, scriptures. Notice that word. The first, what, about five letters of what? Script. See, we talked about earlier that God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. See, God's word is the script for our life. You see that? The scriptures, the root word is script, the script for our life. Everything we need that pertains to life and godliness are in the holy scriptures, the written word of God, which are a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. And here it says, which are able to what? Make thee wise. Amen. God's word is the fountain of wisdom. You need wisdom for living direction in your life. Where do they come from? The holy scriptures. Am I inserting that and making that up? Or is that right here? That's right here, isn't it? And he says, Timothy, from a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith. See, why? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or the holy scriptures. They're able to make thee wise unto salvation all the way to the end. If you walk with the Lord all the way to the end through faith, which is in Christ Jesus as a little boy, my son, I taught him all kinds of scriptures. He could quote about eight scriptures by the time he was five years old, verbatim out of the King James Bible. It was that's how Timothy was brought up. That's how. Yeah, exactly. And his grandmother were godly women. Thank God for godly women. Amen. What a blessing. Nothing so beautiful as a godly woman. Amen. And Paul mentions Timothy's mother and grandmother, who he speaks very highly of. I think one of them was named Lois. L-O-I-S. Lois. Yeah, thank you. Verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Four things that holy scriptures are profitable for. Doctrine, correct teaching about who God is and what his will is for your life as a born-again believer. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, to instruct you in the way of righteousness. Amen. Verse 17, that the man of God, there needs to be men of God. Amen. Are you a man of God? That the man of God may be perfect or mature.
mature, truly furnished or thoroughly furnished unto every unto all good works. Now, if you've got the word in, you've got good furniture in your heart. Amen. Notice the word furnished. If your heart is furnished with the word, then you've got some good furniture there. Amen. Furnished unto all good works, man. Are you furnished? Are you in the word every day? Let me just say this. You might be saying, brother, you kind of irritating. You're talking about daily walking with God. Well, that's what Jesus talked about. He said, you got to deny yourself, take up the cross daily. Are you not following? And, and if you've made mistakes, you've sinned in the past and omission or commission, well, join the club. But we have no excuse from this moment forward. Amen. Following Christ is daily or it's not at all. You're going to follow Christ the way he prescribed. And he said daily over and over and over. Go look up all the times the New Testament uses the word daily. Amen. And you're going to see Jesus qualified how we are to follow him. If we don't follow what he said, we're not following him. If you're going to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works, it's going to be through the scriptures. The man of God is going to be perfected and brought to maturity and become a father in the faith. Amen. To help others and to, to protect and bless women and younger men and children with the word of God and with an example of godly character. Completeness in ministry and in manhood comes from knowing and living the Holy Scriptures. Amen. That's what we see right here. The Holy Scriptures will keep us from being deceived also. And that's what he's saying here by these evil men and seducers who are waxing worse and worse and deceiving and being deceived. God gives a solution to that warning in verse 13. What is it? Verse 16 and 17. You can be full of the doctrine of the Lord and the correction and reproof and in the instruction and in righteousness through the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise, verse 15, unto salvation. You can be thoroughly furnished in all good works so you're not deceived by these evil men and seducers that are waxing worse and worse in this last hour and deceiving and being deceived. Now, who are they deceiving and being, who are they deceiving? They're deceiving those who aren't in the Word. Isn't that clear from this? They're not studying to show themselves approved unto God, verse 15 of the, the chapter before this. Just the same passage, basically. The same little short letter here. They're not studying to show themselves approved unto God daily. They're not thoroughly furnished. They don't have the furniture of God's wonderful words of wisdom, the holy wisdom of God from the Holy Scriptures. The fountain of all wisdom is the Word of God. And if you're not drinking from that fountain of divine wisdom from the ancient of days, then you do not have the right furniture in your heart. And according to Jeremiah 1.10, God wants to root out, pluck down, and destroy and get rid of, root out all of that stuff and then the building the plant in the right stuff. And that's going to come through the Word of God and through ingesting it and devouring it daily. Amen? It's hard to, to resist moving right here in the next few verses here. Chapter 4, verse 1, same passage. He says, now he says to Timothy, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick, the living, and the dead at his appearing and, at his, and his kingdom. I'm charging you in light of the coming judgment. In other words, you better preach the word. That better be all you preach. Now, how many people know that if you got God's word in your heart, you got God's furniture, that's all that's going to come out of your mouth, right? That's all you're going to preach. See, these guys, most of the people that prepare for ministry, if you will, call I don't even know, you can't call it real ministry. Today, they're loading their gun, they're loading their hearts with furniture that's not the word of God. These seminary graduates and students, they study what men say about God. I know I've been to two Bible colleges. They study what men say about God, and they don't study the actual words of Scripture. So they don't know the Word of God. I've had numerous conversations with people that have graduated from DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary, and other so-called higher learning institutions, which is not God's way of preparing a man. We see no such thing in Scripture, especially not the way it's set up today. So anyway, these guys don't know the Word of God. They've got furniture in their heart, but it's rotten, filthy philosophy, Calvinism, and all kinds of psychobabble, and all this other false teaching. They're seducers, as we just read in 313, 2 
Timothy. They're evil men and seducers, and they're waxing worse and worse. They're deceiving, and they're being deceived. They're going to be deceived because God's turned them over to strong delusion because they don't love his truth. Second Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. Explain psychobabble. Psychobabble is psycho-heresy. It's mixing the word of God with the philosophy and the, the worldview and the methods of psychology. You can't mix the word of God with anything without polluting it. Doctrine, speaking of doctrine, Paul says in Galatians 5, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you have a whole glass of fresh, cold, delicious, pure water, and you put one little invisible drop of arsenic in it, is it leavening the whole glass of water? You better believe it. A leaven is small substance that works within a big substance that pollutes it all or affects it all. Amen. So, and we got some stuff on that. In fact, we've got a category on the website titled Psycho Heresy, P-S-Y. Just look at it, the alphabetical categories on the right side of the main page at safeguardyoursoul.com. So he says, look, in light of the fact that you're going to be judged, Timothy, by the Lord. You better preach the word. Now, the way to preach the word is just load up with the word, man. You know, you picture your mouth as the Gatlin gun. And whatever you load that Gatlin gun in with, whatever ammo you put in, it's going to come out, right, Matt? And so you might as well put the right bullets in there, the right ammunition, the right things in there. Scripture upon scripture upon scripture. Scripture memorization is the best preparation you can have for being a servant of the Lord and being fruitful in the work of God. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. The only two times you get to preach are in and out of season. That pretty much covers all the time, right? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Correct doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. This is what you're going to deal with, Timothy, that there's going to come a time when, and this is the prophetic of our day, I believe, more than ever. The time is already here, guys, when people are not enduring. They're not holding themselves accountable to sound doctrine. They don't even care to learn it because they're through the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things and the pleasures of this life. The word of God that they had planted in them that, that led them to Christ is now being choked out and they're falling away or they already have fallen away like the five foolish virgins. And they're not enduring, drawing nigh to God and hearkening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the fear of God in their hearts that God, when God draws them to come closer to him, to get in his word, to have develop a prayer life and they're falling away. They're not enduring sound doctrine because they're not obeying the word of God. They're not choosing to get in the word of God. They got time, energy, money, and wherewithal and thought to get into everything else in life, to play games, to be a good employee, to watch sports, or do whatever. All this frivolous stuff, but they choose not to seek the Lord, and therefore they're not enduring, putting themselves in accountability to sound doctrine. They run from anybody that actually preaches the truth, and they run to the false teachers that are telling them smooth things, Isaiah 30, verse 9 and 10. For the time will come, not maybe, but it will, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, it's a matter of the heart, amen, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they're going to put before them, they're going to turn on the TV, they're going to turn on the radio, they're going to buy the books of the people that tell them what they want to hear instead of what they really need to hear to pair them to meet the Lord. Verse 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on the fables. Stories, 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 stories. The whole emergent church movement, they actually are teaching their so-called pastors, that's stretching it, to tell more stories. Tell stories. The Bible warns right here, don't tell stories and don't listen to people that tell stories. Joel Osteen, most obvious false prophet in America, he prepares as he writes his own story. He doesn't go by the script, the scriptures of the word of God and learn them. But instead, he writes his own little fairy tale message that's not biblical at all from Wednesday to Saturday. This is out of his own mouth. And he memorizes it. So he's got the wherewithal to write his own script and even memorize.
memorize it instead of just memorizing the scriptures, the script God gave us, the holy scriptures or the divinely inspired word of God. We've already got the script. Learn it and live it. Learn it and speak it. Out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths speak. Whatever's in our hearts is going to come out of our mouths. Whatever's coming out of our mouths is in our hearts. Amen. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto what? Fables. But watch thou in all things. Watch. Here it is again. Watch thou in all things and adore afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Are you doing the work of an evangelist? Are you sharing the gospel with people? Are you showing them how merciful God's been to you by giving your testimony and sharing with them how they can be forgiven and come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you passing out any good gospel tracts? We've got them available at safeguardyoursoul.com if you'd like to check them out. Lies, myths, and fables will be believed by those who will not receive and believe the truth. Amen. It's one or the other. One displaces the other. All right. God bless you, friend. And again, feel free to visit safeguardyoursoul.com. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting, and feel free to visit our donate page on the site, and you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon, and you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so, and a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.